welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Hey Matt, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? I'm doing good, thanks Danny. Cheers for having me. Hey, no, pleasure is all mine, my friend. So I guess before we, we crack on, um, I tend to ask my guests to pick four numbers from one to a hundred, Matt. So could you do that for me, please? Oh shit, that's more pressure than I was expecting at the start. Um, okay, let's go 13. Yep. Um, 25. Okay. Seven. Yep. And 64. Perfect. We will come back to them a little bit later on. So Matt, I guess, yeah, the, the kind of follow-up question is always asking my, my guests kind of how to summarize herself in the logline. Can you remember the logline what you had? Yeah, so... Um, my logline is probably um, the least likely head of learning you'll ever see. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. So we will come back to that for sure. But I guess, Matt, let me take you right back to when you was a little kid and the teacher would say to you, Matthew or Matt, depending on how, how clicky he was to be a teacher, what is it you want to be when you grow older? What, what, what is it you would say to the teacher? Now, I think I'm plagiarizing David James here a bit, but, um, it was, it was a rock star. A rock star? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ever since I was about eight years old, I came across a Buddy Holly tape and was just obsessed with Buddy Holly ever since then. And then my brother brought home some Nirvana CDs when I was about 11. I never looked back. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think we've, I think I've seen that. I've seen that kind of, that music passion of yours as well in your presentations. I think you did one, was it last year? Around music and, and stuff as well. I think it was up the learning tech, I think. Yeah, I think if I've got a chance to put Dylan into a presentation, I probably will. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So I guess these questions are going to come at you a little bit thick and fast. I mean, a little, you know, some kind of chilled ones. But first thick and fast question, I'm going to give you four um, terms. And I want you to tell me the first thing what comes to mind when I say these. Cool. Okay. Okay. First one is agile. Misunderstood. Okay. Blended learning. Awesome when you get it right. Okay. Classroom. Don't knock it. Okay. And the last one is Media Zoo. A fun place. Okay. Okay. So I think we'll touch on them a little bit later on down the line. <laughs> sure. So yeah, kind of kind of break down this um this tagline of yours. And kind of, yeah, walk me through what, what made you kind of go with that one. Yeah. Um, I've been working in L&D for, for about 13 years now. So um, it, it's an odd one, but I was reflecting on this the other week. And, and you know, in my early 20s, when I was um, working in an office, in, an, in a corporate L&D team, being an L&D designer, um, a little bit entitled because I had a job, to, you know, the, the job, the job name of, of learning consultant or whatever. I'd read a few books and had a bit of theory, but I wasn't very good at it. Um, but really I was just dreaming of, you know, paying my rent, booking my next ticket to Morocco to go surfing or the next gig I was going to play at or go to really. So um, the last thing I ever wanted to do when I was reading the, the seven habits or whatever that my boss said I should read, I didn't care about any of it. And, and, um, I never thought I'd see myself as a, as that kind of, you know, corporate leader, um, person who loved this kind of industry. Okay. Okay. So actually it kind of brings us on to kind of, you know, in a, in a smooth, subtle way, you know, Matt, we, we speak to each other on LinkedIn and, and when we're at conferences, we try and, you know, get a bit of time with each other, but Maybe, maybe if you could give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour of kind of where you've come from to kind of where you are now. And yeah, let me audience know a little bit about kind of your journey so far. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's probably a lot like other people in the fact of I fell into L&D, started working with a, with a BT training team as an administrator um, when I was pretty young. Um, you know, had a few jobs in retail straight out of school, a few misstarts, misfires. Um, and was very lucky that my manager in that role was really, really keen on developing, you know, his team. And they got me playing around with the PowerPoints and rewriting content. And then actually just sort of one day, someone was sick and said, hey, do you want to try and deliver this, um, this webinar? Here's the scripts, here's the FAQs, you know, kick off and do it. And, and it really sort of um, opened my eyes to a, to a more interesting way of working. And, and 
getting out of those kind of jobs where you do the same thing day in, day out. Um, and within that role, we started playing around with storyline or articulate was pre-storyline um, when it was still a plugin for PowerPoint. And I, I, it was a contract role and I finished there, did, went traveling for a bit and then came back and um, someone had gone to Kineo and they were looking for freelancers. And that kicked off a really huge part of my kind of experience of developing e-learning content for a few kind of the big agencies in the UK, which I did on and off for sort of five or six years after that. Um, there was a bit where, where I was sat in a room, I hadn't spoken to anyone for three days in person and I lost the plot and I decided I wanted to be a primary teacher. <laughs> so, so I jumped off to, uh, to Bristol, to UE for, for a bit to try and do a teaching degree and then learned that, that um, formal education just isn't for me. Um, but, but did like a year qualification there, learned a lot about, um, the psychology of children and actually how I, I really don't think it's entirely different to the psychology of adults from a point of view of learning. Um, you know, we're, we're just as impatient, just as, um, difficult to control, but then just as easy to excite by a box with a lid closed. Um, so I learned quite a lot from that, but then, um, yeah, then came back into, to kind of L and D. So I wasn't sure what else to do. Um, had a brief stopgap where I worked for um, the Olympics in 2012, um, which was a fascinating job and, and just an amazing experience, but where I did about three years worth of work in six months and mm -hmm. vowed never to do it again. Um, and after that, I, I sort of um, ended up in, a, in an internal L&D team where I was um, doing strategy and delivery um, or digital for digital content. And learned a lot about, you know, expectation of roles and started to grow up a little bit and, and really started to realize that the reason I hadn't gone with the industry very much was because of my capability, not because of what was happening around me. And so started, it started on a bit of a journey then and really opened my eyes and, and was thinking about things in a different way. Um, met a certain uh, Perry Timms around that time who completely transformed the way I looked at things. Um, and then, yeah, ended up at MediaZoo and, and I've been there for five and a half years now um, as a, you know, as a, started off as a learning designer, um, just loved that kind of agency lifestyle and working for a company that, that was film and, and PR based, you know, just stepping into the world of L&D. Um, so they were kind of learning from me as much as I was learning from them. And then really, really lucky to have taken over the team about two and a half years ago. Um, and sort of just been playing and having loads of fun since. Okay, so it's it's interesting kind of, you talk about kind of, I guess, e-learning and, and stuff kind of from the start. Um, what what What's your take on kind of e-learning now? And, and I, I want to jump into this, you know, was it the Olympics you, you mentioned as well? Yeah. Um, I want to jump into that. So maybe, maybe yeah, let's, let's do the Olympics one first, actually. So what what was the role at Olympics? Like, what, what, was, you, what was you doing there? So I was working with, um, so, you know, the passes, the athletes wear, oh, yeah. um, basically accreditation, they call it. Um, and so I ran accreditation desks at various, um, various locations, um, like the airport. So we had volunteers sat at the desks and then they'd meet the games family. So the athletes, the referees, the coaches off the planes, and they'd give them their, their passes there and then rather than doing it somewhere else. Um, so it was, it was just a massive project management job. And a fascinating experience in um, Heathrow Airport saying no and then having to call the home office and get them to tell Heathrow to let us to do things. <laughs> it, was, it was an exercise in bureaucracy. So if you ever saw that TV show, I think it was called 2012. It was literally like a, you know, it's like they had spies. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And then I guess kind of going from that, I and mean, then, you know, we can, you, t you touched upon a little bit about the e-learning and, you know, e-learning has a bad rap. Um you know, as a bad rep, sorry. So, I mean, I'm the first one to kick it. Um, I've kind of stepped away from kicking it now. But I guess what's what's your take on, on and when I say e-learner, I necessarily mean, you know, the, the typical click next, blah, blah, blah. But but what what's your take on, on well, it's two things really. What's your take on e-learning in general and what's your take on the perception of e-learning by our industry, maybe? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And um, it's a fascinating one, from, especially in the position I'm in, um, because I don't believe in e-learning. Um, 
But if I took that position with our clients, I think we'd have no clients overnight. So it's a really, really fascinating dichotomy of how can we help improve the quality of what we're creating for our clients versus what they'd buy elsewhere. And that's what drives a lot of a lot of my decision making. So I think in an ideal world, I, I think in an ideal world, I'd destroy all LMD and we'd have no training teams ever. Uh, you know, being quite uh, you know, quite mischievous. Yes. But um, you know. I work in a company that has no formal L&D and we're doing really well. And I think it's proof that exposure and reflection and challenge are huge drivers of, of development, you know, and you don't have to have um, courses and, and structures and all kinds of things like that. Um, but that being said, it, it works for some people. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily for me, but um, the industry's perception, I think, you know, it, it's, it's shifting. Um, I wish we were a little bit more self-aware about how bad what we create is or what we have created. Um, but I appreciate people have got whole careers and there's a lot of science behind lots of what happens, but I, you know, I, I'm in an amazing position where I've worked with hundreds of, of big British companies and I've seen their content. Um, and luckily everyone's at a pretty level playing field where, where, you know, it can all be improved. I agree. It's probably the the short answer. I think, you know, <laughs> we, we was kind of talking before we pressed record about, you know, my take on where L&D is and I don't think it shouldn't, again, match is yours, it shouldn't, I don't think it needs to exist. You know, the rebel in us kind of wants to take that out and see what happens. Um, But I guess it, it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting debate, especially when you kind of look at, say, you know, if you're in the consultancy world and whatever else, and you see these other little boutiques slowly but sure, surely coming in on on what would normally be perceived as a L and D kind of you know playing field. I think you know slowly but surely you're seeing marketing companies coming in now and try and take a little bit of that turf and and yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one to watch because. You know, if, if L&D doesn't shape up as a whole, then all these little boutique kind of functions or whatever, you know, companies kind of come in and slowly but surely will start kind of eating, well, eating the turf up of, of what L&D is at and where we're at now. Yeah, and I think we need to be careful that, you know, having an understanding of how we learn and having a deliberate set of actions about trying to help people do things differently over a sustained period of time is really, really important. And we shouldn't lose sight of what L&D is or, you know, what learning, learning kind of is as an industry because it, it is important and it is deliberate. But I think a lot of where we're at right now, and, you know, there's, there's plenty of people who, who talk about this, is that we've created a world where we're creating content for the sake of because a manager needs it or says they want it. And we're not really looking at the root cause and we're not working with outcome-focused projects. And I think that's the way, that's the reason things have gotten a bit lost. And that's why there's tons and tons of content out there that's just not being used. Yeah, it's, you, you kind of just got me thinking there. I remember a couple of years ago, probably two or three, yeah, probably two or three, three years ago, I was at a conference and literally every single speaker got up and went, yeah, it's content, content, context and curation. And I, I kind of like, I, I remember putting a post out thinking, Surely there should be another another C in there because everything seems to be lined up with C content, you know. And it's interesting now this kind of what we're seeing is probably the reverse of that, you know, and, and saying actually it's not content, content, content. It's actually being really specific with your content and making sure it's of value. You know, it's kind of that it's it's interesting to see how that's probably turned. And and really in what, two two or three years, that's quite a short time frame to go from one end to the other end of an opinion. Yeah. Um and I guess that's, that's sort of what makes things really interesting, isn't it? That everything is evolving and people's views as they learn or, or you know, try out more things. And, and, and I'm sure that if you, you called me in two years' time, I'll be saying something very different to what I am yeah. now. Um, I th- actually, I think the, the most dangerous people in the industry are the ones with a fixed mindset. Yeah. Or, sorry, a fixed position. Let's not get into mindset. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you're you, you spot on. You know, it's then people who get so attached to their opinion that they can't step out and go actually new evidence has come in and my opinion's changed it's interesting how we're all adults and yet we can't have that adult moment of going hmm new information new evidence okay my opinion is wrong i'm gonna have a look at this opinion now 
and we've become really fixed, like you said, on on what that is. Yeah, and and I get it if you've invested a lot of time and things into it. I've been really lucky that I, I think for for a long period of my career I was making crap, and um, I'm not afraid to admit it. And I'm really really driven on undoing that, you know. So um, if I'm wrong or if someone points something out or shows me something new, I, I love it, and, and I'm more than happy to admit that that I'm always evolving um, and always playing with new stuff. And I think that's where mindset comes into it. I think it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to set and setting. So I think you've got your personal mindset and, and you know, by the sounds of it, Matt, you've got one which is open like a sponge and it's open to new ideas and whatnot and, you know, open to people's opinions as well, which is vital. But then it's a setting. It sounds like, you know, where you're at right now is, is, is a good setting to allow that to kind of evolve. But I guess kind of kind of coming from that and actually maybe you could give us a bit of an insight into what what a day in the life of Matt looks like at Media Zoo. That's a yeah it's a good question. Um it's it's um yeah it's it's kind of fun I think um we've just got ourselves a new office at Media Zoo so the learning team are all in one place which is really cool. Um but my role is is super varied. I'm I'm like the ultimate generalist these days. Um but a day usually involves catching up with the team, uh, checking in with different projects that I'm execing. Um, and inevitably I'll probably be meeting clients from for sales or, um, just, uh, kind of supervising or, or supporting projects really. Um, but, um, my days are, yeah, I don't really know what, uh, what I'm expected to do or, or what's going to come up. So, <laughs> I sort of joke that I haven't been in in, uh, in control of my calendar for two years now. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so how big is how big is Media Zoo? And is it is it kind of in a one stop shop, or is it is it is there a few different offices? Or we've got um, there's actually three offices in in our London site now, um, all in Imperial Wharf, just on the Thames. Um, and I've got I've got two offices, um, so we've got an embedded team in one office the main team in another and then our film and PR team are, are based or film and PR teams are based in the main office still. Um, and then we opened a Glasgow office about 18 months ago. Okay. Um, so it's, it's sort of, um, going strong in, in lots of different ways, but media is about hundred, hundred plus people now, oh, uh, yeah, in total. Okay. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive, right? It's kind of, so, so, so how many have you kind of took on in the last probably two years? Is it, is it just a con- constant growth at the moment then with media do I take it? Yeah. So, I mean, when, when I took over as head of, uh, my, the learning team was five people and now we're about 36. Okay. So it's been a, it's, it's been a, an amazing, amazing journey. Um, I wish sometimes it would be a bit steadier, but you know, it's, it's been so cool just learning new things and, and just getting new clients doing really interesting projects and, and, facing new challenges all the time nice nice sounds awesome so i kind of want to pick up on something what you said a little bit earlier on about um you you built some crap in your time or whatever you know when you start there or whatnot and i kind of i think it's a really interesting thing to kind of pull out i think we talk about how you know on interviews we have to talk about you know the best work what we did and you know me 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 and, and all the stuff i've done but actually i think the better question is to ask is actually you know what does your failures look like? If I asked you to write out a failure CV, what would that look like? So I guess with, with that kind of that question going on in your mind, what what kind of key failure jumps out to you on your failure CV? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, when I was freelance and I was building, you know, developing content, I was getting sent scripts and scripts and images and I was building them to a to a style guide, you know? Um, no idea who the client was, no idea why it needed to be made. Um, it was probably one of 40 modules that was getting translated into 20 languages. Um, and I was just, a, a you know, part of a chain. Um, and it sort of really, really made me question what we're doing in L&D. Um, you know, how could this have the benefit to people? Cause it's just text, 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 and a little image. Bearing in mind, this was um, you know mid two thousands, so internet speeds weren't great, and, and so video and things weren't weren't being used a lot. But um, you know, I'd, I'd worked at corporates and seen this content, and you know, you want to die inside, 
and you're forced to do it because they'll find a reason to make it mandatory. Um, you know, and, and every time I see content like that, it reminds me that I was a part of making it for quite a while. So, you know, that's a real, um, something that, you know, as I say, but I use it as a, as motivation to, to want to make sure that everything that we do is, is, um, a bit different to what you'd buy from someone else, I think, rather than saying better, cause that's unfair. Um, but you know, we, we can't prove any of those things, but what we can do is that we can think differently and try out new things. Um, but you know what the biggest one for me recently is being a manager every day. Um, I get something massively wrong with, with the team and it's such a, such a big challenge, but so rewarding at the same time. Okay. Okay. So kind of flipping that question on its head and actually this can be personal, you know, these questions might be, they can be personal, they can be professional, it can be wherever you want to take them. Um, but what's been your your biggest personal slash professional success? And probably let's let's cap it. Let's put um, a twelve month a twelve over the last twelve months, and just because it's my podcast, let's make it personal. Hey, why not? In the last twelve months, I think um, it's, it's always for me the the kind of the obvious one, which is with, with bands and recording things. And then, you know, you, it's on Spotify and you hear it back and you the culmination of what you and your friends have done and, and the time you put into it, um, being able to listen back to it and it being there for posterity, you know, is, is, is an awesome feeling. So are you in a band? I take it. I haven't been for, for about 12 months now because, uh, work. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, for, 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 most of my you know, adult years, I've always had a, you know, a creative outlet outside of work. I think it's really important. Okay. Okay. So I guess my challenge is what's Matt going to do for having that creative outlet for the next 12 months? Do you have any kind of, any ideas of what you're going to do kind of personally to kind of, you know, give you creative wings, you know, span to kind of, carry on what's have you got any plans with that or i've always always sitting thinking i've got an ep inside me like a you know like a, a personal project um and and sort of so i think i need to need to put in some time into that um but one thing i've been really getting into again recently is writing okay i write constantly for work you know always doing proposals um updates you know well you know i'm constantly posting on linkedin as well um, but I haven't really done any long form writing for myself in a long time. So that's something that, that I kind of like to sit down and do and start to, to play with. So if I was to kind of ask you a book, what shaped you and a book, what you have to give to five people as a gift, what, what book would that be? Uh, um, gosh, um, Right now, I, I keep reading nonfiction, so it's. it's uh, but you know what? It would have to be something like "On the Road" by Jack Kerouac. Okay. Sort of open my eyes to um, just seeing the world in a more philosophical way. Okay, I've not. I don't think I've ever read that, so I'll add that one to my list for sure. So I kind of want to touch upon the things which we said at the beginning around kind of agile and and whatnot. So the thing, I think the first one we said was agile, and your take on it was was it misunderstood? I think. Something yeah. like that. Um, go for it. Explain that one. <laughs> How many hours have you got? Um, <laughs> so, so we've been working with Agile for about four years now. Um, and we got it really, really wrong. And we played with it, experimented. And we've got um, a pretty, pretty unique kind of process, the dev process, I should say. Um, so it's, and it's really, really far from pure Agile, but it's... Um, you know, takes all the, the elements that work for us. Um, the, you know, the, I guess when we talk to other people about it, it sounds sexy. Um, you know, we're selling it saying that, you know, it's more flexible, you can get better outcomes. And actually one of the, the bits is you can, you can make things faster. Quite often comes is the, well, we can skip the planning phase, you know, uh, um, it, it sort of, it feels like, again, it's just another panacea for people. Um, but I, you know, I, I've, I've been there and we've seen how badly it can go wrong when you get it wrong. Um, so it's something that needs care and love and understanding. Okay. 
Okay, and then I think the other one which jumped out to me was blended learning and your opinion on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think blended learning should be the basis for everything, right? There's, uh, I don't want to waste my time in classrooms, but we've tried doing all digital content and it's just, it's, it's inhuman. Um, but the thing about blended that I'm really passionate about is the implementation. And I think it's the bit we always ignore. Um, we can create assets all day long, but you give them to a manager or someone who's not particularly interested, they'll ignore the time plan. They'll do all the, 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 the assets in, in a few hours or whatever. Um, having those moments for reflection, having the champions or your managers um, to understand the process that the new starter or whatever's going through and actually supporting them and giving them a structured approach to it is, is critical to it actually working. So again, blended is treated like a panacea, but actually there's so many nuances and subtleties that need to be taken care of to do it well. Okay. Okay. So I guess, you know, we, we, we talked about kind of, um, L and D and you said, you know, the rebelling you wants to kind of, you know, if it'd be good for you to rip it all out everywhere. And I think, I think this rebel creative curious spark is something we have and we bring from our childhood. So I guess the question that's just dropped to mind now is, can you remember the very first time you ever got in trouble as a child? Um, gosh, I, I, the one that sprung to my head is quite bad, actually. Go for it. Let's do it. <laughs> Fundamentally, the main reason why it should be in it. <laughs> I think I remember play, we were, um, there was a couple of us in, in you know in, in junior school playing around um, with a door, and I think I just pulled it closed onto this girl's finger and sort of crushed it. Um, uh, but I'm fairly sure I got told off before then by my by my parents. <laughs> but that's the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? It's interesting, kind of how a simple question can take you right back to a memory, which takes you right back to a recall, and and. I just find it interesting to kind of remember the first time you ever got in trouble. It's, it's Actually, all... I've probably got a bit of a, a more a more funny one. Yeah, uh, go for it. Do you remember flick flack watches? Um, yeah. They sort of learn to tell the time on them. And it said they were water resistant. So the first thing I did was took it home. My parents bought me one. And I must have been pretty young. And just put it under the tap in the bathroom to see if it was water resistant and how long it would uh, survive for. So I think I've always had that... Um, that kind of mindset to to challenge and explore and and um, see how things work, and also try and uh, push the push the rules a bit. But I think it's interesting. I think when you know, if you was to say map out your timeline from say childhood to now, it took some various you know random turns and, and things which weren't predicted. But I think it's interesting how you find yourself in a position now where you can be that. You know, I, I kind of my my granddad. Um, used to always say, used to always call me the, the mad scientist, and it's fundamentally because it was kind of let's see what works, let's see what happens, let's see if this will happen, let's see if that happen, and and fundamentally, if I look at say my career, it's it took some random turns, but when I look at where I am at now, every single touch point, if you like, every single place where I ended up, I've took something from it and and brought it into where I am now, and I think it's just a really interesting thing how how kind of even even that. Even at your childhood, to a point, your, your destination of where where you're gonna go to will always put you kind of right back to you know, for for example, with you, kind of curious and challenging. I think it's a really interesting thing to look at, but just a personal interest, I guess. Yeah, and I think mad scientist is a pretty good logline for you, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I was to say to you, right, let's think of your biggest client. In fact, no, let's go bigger. Let's go bigger. Let's go. A million people. A million people is going to come out of a stadium, could be a football stadium or whatever, and they're going to see this billboard. And this billboard is is yours. You can do anything you want. It doesn't even have to be a message. You can make it engageable. You can do whatever else. What what would you put on that billboard to shape or engage a million people? Oh, it's just got to say, look up, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just mess with everybody a little bit. If you've got that kind of attention and that ability, just do something fun. Okay. Okay, I like it. Did you did you see the one what British Airways did recently? With the oh, little kid? The baby looking at the plane, yeah. yeah. I thought that was genius. Yeah, it's I, it's it was it's so good. It was so good. Okay, okay, look up, I like it. <laughs> 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 so and that's from Garfield, right, isn't it? From back in the day with Odie 
Um, they're looking at the roof until John looks up as well and they start laughing at him. <laughs> I can't even remember that, but it's just added a nice layer on top of that, I'm sure. <laughs> so if I was to say to you, okay, Matt, explain what you do to a child, a five-year-old child, how would you explain what you do? <laughs> um, I wish I could say help people do their jobs better, but even a child would say why. Um, so... I'd like to say play with play with cool things to make them more interesting. Okay, okay. And would you say you get to do that in in your job right now? I think my job is to challenge and um, you know really help people see things maybe slightly differently than than how they might have done before. And maybe maybe that's just my ego, but I like to you know think that some of our clients come to us for that reason. Okay. So so. Kind of coming back into this L and D world right now, and and what do you think is L and D's problem? Um, I think it's fear. Um, we all get paid, you know, to do the same thing. Um, I, I mentioned this this to you before. Um, we're still getting our bonuses for delivering. I'm not going to say ineffective things, but things we don't know whether they're working or not and no one's checking and no one's asking so the industry self-perpetuates um and if you put your head above the parapet it just suddenly means you're a target so i think you get rewarded for not doing that okay so so how how do we overcome it? bravery you know the, just let the little bit of maverick inside you run free or the freak flag fly if you're crosby stills and nash okay okay so, so i mean it's interesting right i think I think there's there's always brave people and there's always people who sit on the fence and there's always the people who kind of, you know, have a fear, have a fear embedded deep within. Um, but do you think our our industry as a whole, and, and this is very general, this is very general, but do you think our industry as a whole allows, creates that environment for bravery to occur? I think industries and corporates as a whole stop people from doing that yet, you know. Um, I don't think that's an L and D thing. Um, and you were saying earlier on actually about marketing and, and all those different areas. I think you're you'd be doing them a bit too much justice. I, I think if you looked at other industries and other teams, you'd find just as much um, you know, mid mid-level capability as we do in L and D. I think it's rife everywhere. And my personal view is we spend so much time at work and I've had so many jobs where I wasn't myself and didn't feel like I could be that, you know, now it's sort of, I I just, it it makes me sad to think that people go to work and they're not having fun with it. Okay. So, so what, so kind of coming up, I guess a layer down from kind of L&D's problem. What's, what's, what's Media's problem at the moment and kind of what's, what's one of the biggest challenges you've been facing and maybe we don't go, personal because you know we talked about your leadership and and kind of that's new to you and stuff but yeah what's what's the problems what what media are facing now maybe you know challenge is positive right so maybe it's a positive challenge what they're going through but what is that yeah i think there's loads i mean um from a from a business perspective um it's our growth you know we're a small company we're constantly growing how do we put in those processes um to, to to keep it all together as we grow um but without overlaying it you know, not, not leaning on bureaucracy and, and keeping the startup like mentality, but, but making sure the wheels stay on. Um, but the second one is more existential. Um, and I was chatting to my MD about it yesterday is, you know, we're in a traditional industry, we're creating products. Um, the world is moving very, very quickly away from, uh, physical assets. Um, so how do we as a business keep up with that pace of change and what are we going to offer? Um, you know, as, as the world moves. And it's a fascinating kind of thing that um, we were looking at the kind of Netflix idea of, um, you know, uh, there was a plan to create something in 10 years' time that wasn't possible with the technology that was available when that company first started as a DVD selling company. It's an interesting one. And it kind of, it, it kind of leads into that, what is the future of, of L&D, future of learning and, and future of kind of, you know, it's hard to predict the future, I guess. We can look at indicators and, it's probably, and even then, you know, fundamentally, you can have kind of, you know, a black swan event and it completely flips it on its head. But I guess, you know, for, for maybe it's for you or, 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 or media zoo, however you want to approach this one, but 
what 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 do you see the future of learning to be and actually is the future of learning not learning or does it belong with L&D or does it not I think the future of learning is people um you know as technology evolves and and I I'm I'm certainly not the the kind of the biggest mind on this one and you know people like Toby Harris and and um can talk a lot more about it, but I truly believe that as technology advances, that service is going to become more and more critical and the human element of that service and our ability to arbitrate um, and I guess curate is going to be absolutely the key part of, of success or failure within that industry. So playing devil's advocate here. So I guess my challenge on that one would be surely the, the people have always been the focus of, of L&D right now, you know, from from past to where we are right now. But, but you know, if we if we kind of always do what we've always done, we'll always get with what we've always got. And and I, I completely agree, you know, with, with looking at what filters are doing and whatnot and kind of that, you know, service, you know, what 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 we would do normally as soon as it'll be just, it'll become the next kind of, um, the next service approach and it's just another service. It's just one of the things what, what we take for granted. And we see that already in our consumer experience. Um, but but if I was to push a little bit more and say, okay, take humans out of it, what then? Because, you know, humans to this aren't new. So so kind of what, is it is it deeper? So for me, I, you know, if someone's to ask me, I'd say it's uber personalization. But in order to get it out, then we need to, we need to have our human I'm a human touch on the fact that people aren't going to be as, as easy as handing over data in order to get that personalization. You know, it's that kind of balancing act. But if I was to yeah. push a little bit more on that, Matt, what, what, how did, how, how could you kind of elaborate, I guess, a bit more? That's where you get me to start saying really sort of, um, um, challenging things where I'm, where I'm at the limit of my, of my knowledge. But I, I truly think, so the, the world of education is ripe for, for being completely disrupted, you know, um, I think education is broken. We all know it. No one, you know, particularly thinks it works, but it's better than the education system we don't have. Um, so I think there is a way of using technology to genuinely personalize people's journeys to, you know, to, to help them develop at the pace they need to work at. So I guess it becomes then enabling a teacher to teach 30 people of varying ages and abilities, um, but without having to move them all at the same pace. So I think that that could be a hugely powerful use of technology. Um, but again, I think the, the teacher becomes central to making that um, as a, you know, as a person connecting to another person, absolutely critical in, in using technology sensibly. So, so kind of, I guess kind of, of, of looking at approach, I was talking to um I had a guy on the podcast, David, he was talking about, actually, he's addressing that problem right now, um, stateside. And, you know, we've got a podcast coming up with him later on. Well, we'll get launched around about the same time as he's. But he was talking about exactly that thing that you just mentioned there, Matt, and kind of saying, actually, how do we make, you know, education more personalized? And actually, how how do we kind of, you know, you look at these schools and, and actually addressing that, that bringing the, the virtual school, so to speak, to home. And, and one of the things which I kind of got thinking about later on down the line was actually, as soon as you do that, you're going to kill all the social aspects of, of, of what is good about schools, you know. Fundamentally, there's, you know, while there is knowledge and, and, and learning, I guess, there's also the massive social element and learning how to engage with people and, and how not to engage and, and the social kind of um, nuances of, of, you know, growing up. So I think it's I think it's spot on. I think you know it's interesting looking at that education, but I think it's gonna again it's gonna be another another I guess wicked problem on how do you bring that but still keep that social element intact because you know I guess what you don't want is a lot of people who stay at home and learn at home and have no social you know have no personal drive to kind of you know go out and get that social element what they're lacking in what they're missing in from school. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And I think every road you go down, there'll be a huge challenge either way. And um, I'm not sure if you've read Nick Shackleton and Jones's book yet, but yeah, yeah. I love that idea, you know, and that's all based around the, you know, experiences and social kind of the emotional uh, effect of it all. Um, but then you, you talk to a teacher about that and they'll just say, but we've got this huge, huge curriculum I've got to deliver in a year and I can't lose a day. So it's, um, 
you know, a fascinating, fascinating world where how do you make one thing fit for everyone when we know it doesn't work? And I guess that's the, that's the problem from the start, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's interesting kind of, um, experiences of, you know, experience design for me is the, you know, when someone says to me, what is the future? I'd say it's the experience economy. It's not, it's not this kind of service adaption. It's this, it's kind of, this thing of experiences, we've seen it already, you know, as, as we tend to do, there's a lot of industries which are always way ahead and, and kind of shaping these experiences. And I guess I, I kind of, I kind of talk about the fact of experiences open the door to allow change in, but it's kind of, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges what we get with experience design, I guess, is scale and scaling them experience designs. And it's totally doable. I've done it in, I've done it in my career numerous times. It's totally doable. But I think the bigger question is actually, when it comes to kind of stakeholders and, and getting stakeholder buying for experience, it's kind of, I think the challenge doesn't become the scale of experiences and, and experience design. It's kind of challenging the stakeholders mindset to that because, you know, fundamentally, if you look at where they're at now, they're probably just expecting a, a, a shitload of assets and content and that's, you know, yee-haw, off you go. Yeah, expectation setting is the ultimate challenge when it comes to that. Um, and even your own. Um, you know, we limit ourselves so much by, um, limiting our own, our own creativity and our own, you know, what, what could we achieve? Um, and that's where I, I love, um, some of the marketing view of that, the creatives in the ad, you know, industry, um, their whole job is to just look around, filter, think, store, um, sleep and come back and kind of borrow, beg and steal from everywhere to create new, new connections, which are new ideas. Um, and that is how you, you know, and unfortunately it's, it's a bit of trial and error, um, that we try things that don't always work, but I think the, the, the saddest thing we could ever do is not try for the sake of, um, you know, ticking off a list of things. Yeah. And, and I guess this comes down to that kind of constant iteration and, and change and, you know, try it, but if it fails, let's tweak, adapt, go again, you know, and it comes down to that, that constant iteration, but you know, I think is it, again it comes down to this. The business say it's okay to do that, but then you know, but kind of, it's a bit like that reality versus Instagram, right? You know, the business, the business message versus the business reality is, well, yeah, you, you know, go out and try it, and if it fails, great. But then, does the does the bit does the business culture kind of allow for that as much as a business message? I think there's a there's a bit of a mismatch in them two things alone. Yeah. But that, that again is where bravery just becomes so important. Um, you know, that, that's the one behavior that, that separates, I think really forward thinking companies from the ones that aren't or, or forward thinking people is that ability to go, okay, you don't want to do this, but I'm going to press this because I think it's really important. Um, you know, and I think ultimately you'll end up in finding out that, that, situations aren't for you or, or, or whatever like that, you know, and, and, and it is tricky obviously, and there's lots of things and, and lots of politics to play around, but it does remind me that, that someone asked me a really good question about user-centered design and agile and, and things like that was, you know, what about those poor people who get the first iteration of your product um, that might not be correct? And I was just sort of there and it's like, but what about the people that get your only version of your product and you assume it's correct? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, well, it's better to kind of have five people not have great products rather than 250 people who's going to have this one stop, this kind of, you know, this unicorn, what they think is, is going to create, fix all the problems without any any feedback. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've never found anyone in a business who hasn't been open to the idea of trying new things if you make it easy for them. So, um, you know, and I think, um, I think this is a David James thing, isn't it? Is that, um, that do you want to make it easy for you and make it hard for your users? Or do you want to do a bit more work and make it easy for your users? Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's so worth doing that, making the extra effort and, you know, putting the, the, the time and effort into, to open people minds to, to to try new things so i guess kind of coming out a little bit out of lnd now and, and thinking about you personally what's what's some of the the things what is capturing your attention at the moment and again 
yeah, let's let's do it. Can be personal, professional, but maybe it's some, I don't know, some tools, some stuff, some some something. You know, it, it can be resources, whatever. But what's what's capturing your attention and kind of getting you sparking and thinking about things differently? It's, I mean, for me, it's it's almost always books. Um, at the minute, I'm reading um, the the follow up to the Silk Roads, um, which is sort of the the new history of the world. Um, looking at looking at it from the middle east rather than from the west um and the 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 kind of the 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 second version of it's just looking at the modern the modern world which is just fascinating about how politics and culture and and you know all these things have a macro and micro effect on on the whole world um but um yeah there was uh and, and podcasts i've really got into podcasts um, unfortunately I'm still listening to loads of really geeky business ones, but, um, I love walking now and just listening to stuff, which is something I never thought I'd do a few years ago. Yes. Podcasts are kind of my, I'll probably say probably for the last couple of years been my number one go-to. And again, it's, it's a lot of time. It's not even work related. Um, are you, do you listen to radio lab? Uh, no, what's that? Okay. So get radio lab on there for sure. Um, so radio lab is, is I love their editing style, um, but it's all different things. It's not necessarily just one, one thing. So like a couple of months ago, I was talking about, you know, when dinosaurs, you know, when when impact happened and kind of dinosaurs got wiped out. We've never been really truly been able to kind of predict what happened after it, and 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 well, not been able to sit back and go actually let's let's have a look what happened straight after it. And yeah. What do you think now is they've got insight and data to kind of show what happened within you know from the moment of impact right up to the hour a couple of hours and um it talks about kind of i, I don't want to spoil it because it's been what it's been one of my favorite episodes of them um but yeah it's, it's interesting to talk about kind of there's a layer of so you got like the, the sand and whatever else and then they've got this layer of soil and then from from that layer of soil no dinosaurs bones have, have have ever been found below that layer so it kind of starts showing you how they're using data to kind of start shaping it and things like they found um because the impacts happened so quick all the fishes were kind of facing one way and it's showing how those all kind of piled on top of each other showing like it was just a mass blast and then it talks about how how the earth um heated up and yeah and it's yeah, it's it's a really good episode, that for sure. Yeah, that sounds right up my street. There was a TV show I think on iPlayer I watched a couple of months ago, which was about the Big Bang, and they went to the crater site. Um, but I've always wondered, actually, like if crocodiles and sharks are really, really old, um, <laughs> how did you know? How did we evolve from um, you know those, those kind of the few animals that that survived the Big Bang? Um, and I don't know enough about biology and the history and stuff, and it's, but it fascinates me how um, how uh, we've evolved over millions and millions of years. Mm, yeah, I think I think you're going to love that episode. They do some they do some really good episodes. Like um, another good one's called Reveal as well. Um, that's like um, journalist storytelling. Yeah, and they do ones kind of about uh, and, you know one of, one of my favorite episodes then was about the you know the mass. Um, fires what happened in LA because yeah and yeah it's, and it's all it's all kind of accounts from the people who was in it so it's yeah it's great it's, it's, I say it's great that was quite a depressing example <laughs> but it's yeah it's a really good good podcast especially if you want to switch off from kind of you know work stuff so yeah definitely check them two out awesome yeah cheers um, I should probably say as well I think it was your show that, that really got me into podcasts so thank you alright okay I will take that for sure cheers man <laughs> so so what's your what's your biggest 80-20 hack and you know I kind of always use this analogy of 20% of the contacts you'll call 80% of the time and 80% of the contacts on your phone you'll only call 20 so what's the one small thing you do which kind of gives you back either 80% of your time or kills 80% of your work or what? It, it's, um, it's probably a bit cheesy and a bit obvious, but for me, it's delegating. Um, Realising that I've got a team of people who are better than me at a lot of things. So most of our brilliant work comes from me holding on to it and giving it to others. Okay. Okay. So, so why should, why do you think people should get into our industry? And, 
I say hour and a string, and I'm gonna wrap it in L and D terms, but I think personally much more of an L and D. But let's just keep it as L and D. Why, why, why should people get? You know, why should people bother about getting into where we are now? Especially with, you know, all the other cool roles that are out there, and all the, you know, new up and coming things to do, and and kind of get involved with. Why should people bother? I think there's a few bits of it, really. One is the fact that you really can make a difference and and make people's experience in work better and and more fun and more interesting. Um, and you can also help them do their jobs better, which you know is really rewarding. But the other bit is that I think you and I are really good examples of is that the industry is open to listen and you can say pretty crazy stuff. Um, and we, you know, we're, we're able to sit here and chat about it and explore it. And no one's shouting at us, telling us we're wrong. And most people are really receptive about having a conversation about it. And I find that, you know, it's really powerful. Question for you, deep one. Do you even like yourself? Uh, sometimes, sometimes not. Okay. Okay. Care to elaborate a little bit more? <laughs> um, I think I'm I'm quite driven by a, a desire to move and change. So um, when I, you know, um, I feel like sometimes I'm overly, overly critical and negative of myself, but then other times I think that's a really important part of my character that that's led me to where I am. So it's a really, I guess it's a yin and yang type thing. To be really, really on the fence about it. No, no, that's, that's a great place to be. Sometimes, sometimes it's a good place to be. So, you know, you, you kind of already mentioned you kind of quite active on LinkedIn. Which anyone who isn't following you, I recommend they should follow you. But kind of, what what's your take on social media in and and it's social media within? Yeah, what's your take on LD's social media presence and behaviour you see from the LD industry on social media? Well, um, I think it's a bit of bandwagon jumping in, in some respects. Um, but I've recently deleted all of my social media apart from LinkedIn. Um, so I'm not really sure what's happening out there and I'm being willfully ignorant, uh, for my own benefit. But, um, yeah, I think, um, I think you, you, you said it earlier and it works really well before, before we press record is that there are, I think there's a great number of people sharing really interesting things. And I learned so much from, from spending time on LinkedIn, but also I think there is a bit of a fear where others feel they, they can't join in. Um, so it's kind of, um, I wish people would be more, um, um, a bit more open and, and not be afraid of, of, um, their, what their thoughts and feelings are. Okay. So kind of, you, you mentioned you've kind of removed all your social media apart from, from LinkedIn. So I kind of removed Facebook probably about six months ago and did not miss it. And then I've ended up joining it again just because there's a group I wanted to be part of on Facebook, which was is a, is a really bizarre group. But how, how are you finding kind of switching off kind of all your social media channels, I guess? It's, it's tough. Um, I don't miss them. And I think it's, I've got exactly the same thing as that where... I used to be part of these weird, you know, like left-handed guitar groups. Um, so I miss that. And I miss not finding out about bands when they're touring the day the tickets go on sale or got new albums coming out. Um, but you know, what I don't miss is sat on my phone of an evening, just scrolling through endless nonsense um, and have a bit of breathing space. Um, you know, life is pretty hectic and living in the city, it's, it's kind of fast paced. And it's really nice to, to not have those added layers of things that really weren't making me feel good yeah i think social media does a great job of, of kind of not allowing us to be bored which is a very bad thing i think um you know i think a lot of us have forgot how to be boring to be boring to be bored and, and <laughs> i think in, no one's forgotten how to be boring. yeah to be bored and kind of and enjoy being bored you know i think i can remember when i was when i was a kid and like i remember it used to be maybe a sunday or saturday and maybe i'd just come in from making a den with my mates and whatnot but kind of I remember having them bored moments and I think I can't remember I can't well I can remember because I put I put time in to kind of be bored so to speak but actually I think in our day in our hectic lives now if you turn around to people and said when was the last time you were truly bored I think it I think they'll be hard pushed to kind of come up with a moment now 
Yeah, uh, and I can't remember who said it, but someone, you know, someone said social media will be the death of invention. Um, you know, in that all of the big eureka moments in, in our history have come from, admittedly, the middle classes, but them having free time and just to wonder about and, and let all the stuff that they've read filter and, and, and you know, swirl into a new, a new thing. So, um, and I guess invention has changed because we're doing it by deliberate action, aren't we? Like the Googles and, and people like that have people who, who are constantly trying experiments to get new ideas, but it just sort of feels a bit, um, yeah, like we, we feel that we have to fill every single moment of our lives right now. And, um, and I used to do that and I didn't, you know, it didn't make me feel good. So, um, it's really nice to sit down. Yeah. And just go, right. What am I going to do? Nothing. Yeah. Make yourself some green tea on a Friday evening. No red wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I guess it kind of got me thinking, you know, we, we kind of talk about having this time out and, and being bored again. But if we was to, if I was to say to you, right, Matt, here's a thing world's ended and you've got to leave a list of in- instructions to jumpstart the next generation what w- what would your in- instructions be to them people be nice to each other okay don't take it all so seriously uh and read more okay beautiful <laughs> unless if there's any books left that is yeah that's a good point and then in that case just draw it's just as good <laughs> Or, or, or write something for others to read. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. That's very true. So so kind of, who who's the five people you would recommend everyone should follow? And this can be new up-and-comers. It could be people in, in different industries. It can be people who you follow and, and, and aren't new to it. Who, who's the five people you recommend everyone should follow? Five people? Yeah. Um, okay, I'll have to use my fingers here. Um so I think, you know, one, the first one I'd say is, is, is my boss, Rachel, Rachel Pendred. Um, we've spoken a bit about MediaZoo. They're a totally unique company. And what, what, what Rachel's vision and, and kind of drive has done, you know, we, we've got two of the, the, the most prestigious corporate film awards currently. And, and I don't think any, any agency's ever held them at the same time. Um, and it's all down to her, you know, her, her passion and her drive and her ability to just set us all free. So Rachel's a fascinating person to follow um, who probably doesn't get as much credit as she should um, and gave me the chance to, to do this crazy stuff myself. Um, another one is a guy I've mentioned, Perry Timms, just one of the f- original thinkers of the world. Um, you know, he, he totally transformed my thinking on everything. Um, uh, Peter Manishreba, if you want someone who's going to tell you how it is, he's your man. Um, I love, I love his view on things. Um, um, and that's three, isn't it? Uh, I'm not going to do any of the really obvious ones that we've all said a thousand times. And I've mentioned a few other names already in this podcast, um, like Nick, Nick and, and, and David James. Um, um, so I'm going to go with some of my friends then Laurie Niles Hoffman. She's awesome. Um, she's got such a cool view on, on how corporate Harris, um, one of the smartest dudes. Every time I talk to him, I um, I learn something new, um, and I always turn to him when when I've got a bit of you know one of those ones where I'm shaking, I'm scratching my head, and I I'm literally it's beyond me. He can usually explain to me pretty pretty clearly what what something means when it's when it's beyond the wit, the, the wit of my little brain. Who was who that again? Again, sorry, mate, you broke up uh, when you said oh, Toby Harris. Toby Harris, yeah, he's a good guy, Toby. Definitely a good guy. Okay, so I guess. We're kind of coming to the end now, Matt. And, and you know, right at the start of, of the show, I asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up. But as you know, we never continue to kind of, we, we never really stop growing and we continue to develop and, and grow. So if I was to ask you now, Matt, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is it you would say? <laughs> um, gosh, yeah. Um, if I ever grow up, um, I think I just want to be, um, I want to be an explorer. Okay, an explorer. I like that. I like it. Is this an explorer of ideas or an explorer of adventure? What What are we thinking? If I don't specify, it means I could actually possibly do it, right? Yeah, that's a good uh, point. That's a good point. There's a club in, in Mayfair, or there used to be, called the Explorers Club, and you used to have to sail across the Atlantic to be a member. 
So I'd kind of like to imagine that maybe if I sailed across the Atlantic, I could join them. I love it. I love it. That sounds like a that sounds like a great experience and a and a great club to be part of for sure. For sure. <laughs> so so I asked you to pick some numbers right yes. at the very start and. I guess these numbers tie to some random items on my list and the story is you're on a desert island and you find these items. So, you have number 13 was a woman's blouse. Number 25 was a nail file. Number 7 was an ice cube. Don't know how long (laughs) that's going to last. And the last one was number 64 and that was a pencil. What are you doing okay. with these items, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I think I'd, I'd, I'd suck the ice cube to stay cool because it'd be hot. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a fashion victim, so I'd try on the blouse to see if I just look cool because that made me feel better about being there. Um, and then I'd probably use the, uh, the pencil and nail file as, as drumsticks to, to just hit out a little beat on a, on a tree. So um, essentially, I think I'd be channeling my inner sting and because he used to wear sort of overshirt, oversized shirts in the 80s. Um, I'm hoping the women's blouse is oversized when I say that. Um, and just, in, just I just keep myself entertained for a short period of time. Okay. Couldn't have answered it better myself. So, so Matt, you know, where can people keep up to date with what, you, what you're working on and your ideas and, and stuff? Where can we find you? Um, yeah, so LinkedIn, I'm, I'm pretty active on there. Um, um, or... or um, yeah otherwise you can get hold of me um via the media zoo website i think my email address is on there under the people section so um yeah love talking to people and, and geeking out about this stuff as you as you well know yes for sure for sure matt it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for joining us on the show thank you so much for having me man it's yeah it's an honor to be on this i'm i'm really excited awesome cheers matt you enjoy the rest of the evening thanks dan you too all right